So we're, <coughs> we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, who I'm regarded as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, together with, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Well, uh, good morning everyone. It's uh, great to see you all and it's great to uh, turn together to the Word of God. Well, today we have uh, reached the final verses of the book of 1 Peter. We began our series way back on Sunday the 8th of May. And so I wonder, do you remember the story that Reuben told us to kick it all off? I wonder if Reuben remembers the story that he told us to kick it all off. It was a story about some young kids playing soccer. And after the halftime break, one of them, young Reuben himself, breaks away from the pack, streaks down the field, and scores completely unopposed. But sadly, young Reuben forgot the change of ends, and he had scored an own goal. That pictured for us how in this letter, Peter teaches us that we as Christians need to remember whose side we are on and which direction we are going. Throughout these chapters, he has taught us how to stay faithful to our God and to live for him in a society that is becoming increasingly secular and hostile. But now we want to think about something similar. Not a game of soccer this time, but a cross-country running race. Imagine all the young kids milling around at the start line, waiting to be released. Then the pistol fires, and one of them, let's call him Young Jack, shoots to the front, sprinting way ahead of the pack. He's like Usain Bolt on steroids. He feels great. He hears the crowd cheering. He's winning the race. But after a few hundred metres, young Jack is stooped with his hands on his knees, puffing and panting and watching every other competitor stream past. For he foolishly forgot that it's not how you start the race that matters, but it's how you finish. And if you fall in a heap, never making it to the end, well, then you may as well never have bothered in the first place. In this final passage, Peter reminds us that it's so, so important 
to keep going to the end, to the end of our Christian race. He speaks of us being lifted up in due time, remaining firm in the faith of the eternal glory that lies ahead and of standing fast in God's grace. Here in these verses, Peter encourages us not to start well, but then give up when the going gets tough, but rather to persevere, to persevere all the way to the finish line. And so he describes for us here four attitudes that will help to keep us going. And then he reminds us of the wonderful prize that lies ahead of us, the goal of our faith. And then he concludes with one extra attitude, a bonus, that will strengthen us even more. So we begin with four attitudes to help us to endure, even when suffering for our faith. And the first of those is humility. In verse 6, Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. You see, my friends, the genuine Christian life is a life of submission. In the first place, it's about submitting to the Lord, to the one who, who so graciously rescued us from our sin and all that it deserves by sending his own son to suffer in our place. He calls us to gratefully respond by surrendering our lives in love and in service and in obedience to him. But he also calls on us to submit to others. In this very same letter, Peter has spoken to us about submission to human authorities and at work and in the family and in the church. But the point, the point is that real submission, my friends requires real humility. The proud and the arrogant find it very difficult to submit to others and ultimately to God, for they are more focused on themselves, on their own cleverness and their own strength, on their own desires and rights and opinions. They obsess over how others should be serving them, rarely thinking about how they themselves might serve. They're quick to get upset, offended and outraged, but care little if they do harm to others. And this leads to various problems. The self-righteous and the self-important are often unhappy and bitter. They experience trouble and conflict in their relationships. They're of little use to the church and to its mission to, to care for the needy and to witness to the lost. But worst of all, worst of all, they are often disconnected from the Lord. And little wonder, in the verse just before our text, Peter says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Quoting Proverbs chapter 3. Do you remember Jesus telling the parable that parable about not taking the place of honour, but rather taking the lowest place at the wedding feast. And do you remember that other parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to the temple to pray, but who went in very different ways? 
You know, at the end of both of those parables, Jesus concludes with exactly the same words. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The proud rarely persevere in their faith, rarely keep going to the end, at least without a dramatic change of heart. For sooner or later, they will come undone. Sooner or later, the Lord brings them down. And that's why Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. You know, humility is not a personality trait. Humility is an intentional decision to live in a certain way. So let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought Let us not overvalue our own importance, opinions and rights. Let us be quick to submit to one another and to the Lord. Because then, my friends, we will find strength to go on, whatever comes our way. For we know that the Lord will lift us up in due time. God favours the humble. God exalts the humble, both in this life and in eternity. So friends, I want to ask you, how how do people describe us? Arrogant or modest? Conceited or caring? Proud or humble? I urge you, don't ever think that it doesn't matter, because it truly does. Only the humble can endure till the end. But now the, the second attitude that Peter mentions here is calmness. We're in verse 7 now where he says, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Throughout this series, we've talked about what is lying ahead for Christians in a country like ours. After many years of being politely accepted and then amusingly ignored, we're now discovering that in our new woke society, we are the ones who are being seen as dangerous. For we do not blindly support the new agenda, especially in the area of sexuality, when it stands in opposition to God's will. And as a result, we will increasingly face disadvantage, cancellation and persecution. We'll find ourselves suffering for our faith. And to think about that might make you worried and afraid. Or there may be other things in your life that make you worried and afraid. And if we allow those feelings to dominate us and to to control us, then eventually we will fall away. For we'll be so consumed by anxiety that we'll have no time left for the Lord or for his church or for his calling on our lives. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not worry. But instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We have a real choice, my friends, to to devote ourselves to a kingdom of fear or to devote ourselves to the kingdom of God. In Philippians chapter 4, we're told, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The opposite of worry is peace. It's assurance. It's calmness. And how is that achieved? Well, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on God. This is an act of the will, to take the things that disturb us and to lay them before the Lord in prayer, but then also to leave them with God, not picking them up all over again. It's decisively throwing off that unbearable weight and entrusting it to our Heavenly Father. And how does that help? Peter says, because he, because he cares for you. Oh, my friend, the Lord knows your worries. He cares about them, and he's in control of them. And while he never promises to remove all the troubles from our life, he does promise that he will watch over us, and he will keep us utterly safe in his loving arms. We have a Father in heaven who's got our back, no matter what happens. And so I want to ask you, are there worries in your life? Do you dwell on them too much? Are you becoming consumed? Are they dragging you away from God? If we want to keep going to the end, then we need to cast our anxieties on the Lord because he genuinely cares for us. We need to find an attitude of calmness. Now, a third attitude to help us is alertness. We're now in verse 8, where Peter writes, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. One of the biggest reasons why people fall away from God and, and fall away from Christianity is because they convince themselves that being a believer is easy. But it'll never be easy, this side of heaven, because we have an enemy, a real enemy, the devil, Satan. And he's like a lion hunting for its prey. He stalks us looking for weakness. He attacks us when we least expect. He seeks to destroy us, pulling us away from God into unrestrained and unrepented sin. And my friends, I've seen it so many times. The adulterous affair, the attraction of booze, drugs and the party life, the seduction of working for unnecessary riches and success. The obsessions of hobbies and holidays that slowly take over your life. The longing for a quiet existence free of the Lord's demands. The illusion that you don't need the church and you can do it on your own. The allure of that philosophy or that religion that sounds more appealing than the Bible. But do you know when the devil succeeds? The devil succeeds when his prey is not alert and not of sober mind. When his prey is drowsy and drunk, not on their guard. That's when a person faces temptation and, and instead of recognising it for what it is, they find a way of making it acceptable and beneficial. They say it's not so bad. They say God doesn't mind. 
They say no one's getting hurt. They say I can stop whenever I want. They say the Lord even wants this for me. And as a result, those who once seem to walk with him are dragged away. For the devil sinks his teeth into them and they're oblivious to the danger. Are you awake to the devil's schemes, my friends? Awake to the ways that he is attacking you, even right now. He'd love to see you throw your faith away. He'd love to see you drop out of the race and never make it to the finish. Peter says, don't be unprepared. Don't be ignorant. Don't be a dope. Let's be on our guard out, my friends, for, on guard for ourselves and on guard for others. For if we want to persevere, then we need an attitude of alertness. But the fourth attitude follows straight on in verse 9. Peter says, resist the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. My friends, this tells us that we also need an attitude of determination. You see, it's one thing to be alert to the devil's attack and fight him off. But that doesn't mean he's going to give up on you. He's a relentless assailant who will keep at us day after day and week after week and year after year. And what better way to intensify his impact than to cause us to suffer for the very faith that we hold dear. I mean, it's one thing to stand against him when life's all easy. But what about when our friends turn against us? When we're discriminated against at work? When we're ridiculed in the media? When we find ourselves on the wrong side of the law? That's when the temptation to give up is even stronger. But Peter says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. He says, be determined to keep going in the way that you know is right, even when times get tough. And how? Well, think of Ephesians chapter 6. There the Apostle Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. We can grow in our determination by using all of God's armour. And Peter says, do this, because we know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. My friends, when we suffer for our faith, we are not alone. These things have been going on throughout the ages, and we have brothers and sisters all around the globe who are suffering just as we are, and in fact, far worse. But like them, we can stand firm in the Lord if we want to make the finish line 
We need an attitude of determination. So there we have four attitudes that Peter urges us to take on so that we can keep going to the end. We're called to have humility and calmness, alertness and determination. These will help you to persevere. But Peter encourages us even further by reminding of us of what is lying ahead when this race is complete. He says in verses 10 and 11, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered just a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter reminds us just one last time that there will be suffering. But yet in the scheme of things, it's just, it's just for a little while. Just a drop in the bucket. For in the end, we will experience what he describes as eternal glory. Peter says this eternal glory is ours because of God's grace. Because he is a loving, compassionate and forgiving God. He says this eternal glory is ours because he has called us. He chose you and me without us deserving it at all. He says this eternal glory is ours in Christ. Because our Lord Jesus willingly paid our debt when he died upon the cross. And what is eternal glory? My friends, it means that in the end, we are going to be reunited with our loving creator in perfect harmony. He will be our God and we will be his people. It means that in the end, all the struggles and the troubles of this world will be gone. It means that in the end, we are going to discover life the way it was always meant to be. For our Lord will restore us and make us strong, firm and steadfast. And so it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be glorious. And it will never be ruined or spoiled. It will never, ever come to an end. Oh, my friends, do you know this glorious promise for yourself? Is it true in your heart? This life is not all there is. The devil will not have the last word. Our present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Whatever happens in this world, whatever happens in your life, if your hope is in Jesus Christ, then nothing can ever separate you from God's love. Is it any wonder that Peter concludes in praise, to him, our God of grace, be the power forever and ever. Amen. And there concludes the teaching of 1 Peter. But yet the letter's not quite finished, is it? For Peter has a few personal words to add, verses 12 to 14. 
With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. At first glance, this might look like a fairly standard and uninteresting kind of sign-off, but it's really much more. First, there are various links here back to the opening of the letter. For example, he mentions God's grace and God's peace, which he mentioned at the beginning. He mentions Babylon, a euphemism for, for God's people living in exile. Again, what he mentioned at the beginning. But my friends, in the midst of all of this, Peter reminds us of one final thing that will strengthen us even more, even more as we seek to persevere. And that, my friends, is the attitude of love. He speaks of his faithful brother Silas, who'd helped with this letter, maybe as a scribe or a co-author or a, or a courier, Whichever it is, Paul, Peter describes him with such warmth. He speaks of writing to these churches for their encouragement, for he cared about them deeply and wanted to express his affection and his support. He speaks of how the Roman church and also his son Mark wanted to send their greetings. He treasured that church in Rome. He treasured Mark, who wasn't really his son, but he was like a son. That's how much he loved him. And they, in Rome, and Mark as well, they also treasured the believers in Asia Minor who received this letter, sending their warm greetings. And finally, he urges them, greet one another with a kiss of love. In other words, he just wanted to encourage them to love each other so much that they cannot help but express it in this show of physical affection. But why this final emphasis on love? Well, my friends, because when the church is facing difficult times, then more than ever, we need each other. We need to support each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to love each other. And so we need this here at Riverbank. And so I want to ask you, will you... Will you, my friend, be part of this culture of love? Will you love your sisters and your brothers in Christ? And will you receive their love in return? If not, well, then you may not last the distance, for you will not really be part of the family of God. But if you will, then you will be well equipped to persevere. So my friends, if we were going to summarise the, the entire message of the book of 1 Peter, we could simply say this, suffering now, glory later. Peter makes no bones about the fact that the Christian life is not easy, for we're strangers and exiles living in a foreign land. And if we truly live out our faith, then we will suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But yet Peter makes no bones about the fact that the Christian life is also a wonderful life. Because the Lord has given us new birth. 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. The God of all grace has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. And so it's just so vital that we not only start on this journey, but that we make it all the way to the end. So let us ask our Lord to fill us with these attitudes to sustain us. Let us strive to have humility and to have calmness. Let us strive to have alertness and determination. Let us strive, my friends, to be filled with love. For then we will stand firm in the Lord for all of our days. Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we would be very naive to think that there are not some who begin on the Christian journey but never make it to the end. And so, Father, we pray, please help us to think carefully and deeply about this passage that we have read and considered today. Lord, we pray, please give us all that we need in order to keep going, to not fall in a heap, but to keep on persevering and enduring right until we draw our last breath. Father, we pray that you would fill us with an attitude of humility. Lord, help us to think less about ourselves and more about you and more about others. Father, give us a humble attitude in all that we do. Father, we pray, please give us an attitude of calmness. Lord, we know how easily anxiety can take over us. But Father, we pray, help us to cast all our anxieties, our worries, our fears, our troubles, to cast them all upon you. And Lord, we pray that we might do that, knowing that you have promised that you will care for us, no matter what is going on in our lives. Father, we pray, please give us an attitude of alertness. Father, it's so tragic to see those who are blind to the devil's attacks and who fall into his trap and who fall away from you. Lord, help us to be alert to the temptations that are around us. Lord, help us to be on the ball, to not be a dope. Lord, help us to take these things seriously. And Father, we pray, please also give us an attitude of determination. For we know that as long as we live on this earth, the devil will continue to, to attack us in every way he can. Father, give us your strength that we might be able to resist him. Lord, give us your strength that we might be able to keep, to stand our ground and stay firm in our faith. Lord, we pray, please give us an attitude of love. Lord, how important that is for the church at any time, but all the more when the church is under pressure, when the world is beginning to treat us with more and more hostility. Father, we pray that we would have each other's backs. Lord, that we would care for one another, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice and that we would mourn with those who mourn. Father, that we would encourage each other in our faith that we might grow in our commitment to you. 
And Father, as we do all of this, we pray that you would enable us to to always keep one eye on what lies ahead, to that glory that is to come. Father, that eternal glory that you have given us in your grace, that you have called us to, that you have given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father in heaven, how we thank you for Jesus and for all that he has done, that you have taken Through him you have taken us out of the worst possible situation we could ever be in and that you have given us the greatest blessings we could ever imagine. Father God in heaven, help us to long for that day and to live in the light of it now and always. Father, we thank you, we thank you and we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.